1: This is Utah Weekly Forum, a public affairs show dedicated to learning more about the issues affecting our lives and health and exploring the resources available in our diverse communities to help. Here's your host, Rebecca Cressman.
2: Hi, it's, it is Rebecca, and it is a pleasure, and I should also say an honor to have our guest today, Carl Hunt, with us. We decided uh, as a radio station group that it was really important for us to understand what we could all individually do to r- lower the risk of wildfires in the state. We've seen how decimating they can be, and we've seen one of the most incredible wet winters now turning into a really, really hot, dry summer. Carl Hunt is with us. He oversees Utah's forestry and fire uh state lands is that right carl yes i okay. am the
1: uh, public information officer for the utah division of forestry fire state land so we deal with the uh, uh private forest landowners help them manage those forests um we respond to all wildfires in the state um that happen on state land or private land and then we oversee our state sovereign lands as well
2: so that's a lot That is a lot. That you're overseeing. And, uh, you know, in terms of zooming out on the big picture of Utah, we know we're in a desert climate. And uh, different areas, it's a high desert, so there's more, you know, foliage and and trees and all. And we've got natural water sources here. And that actually, I guess, in some ways creates quite a a box of kindling and tinder for wildfires.
1: It does. And uh, there's different... Levels of fuel. Mm -hmm. Um, We have kind of the heavy fuels that we see when we get higher elevations, your big pine trees and some of the bigger shrubbery. But at low elevations, we get our light flashy fuels. That's the term we like to use, but that's the grasses. Those are the ones that are easily ignitable uh, and they burn really quick.
2: All right. And so we're going to talk in general about uh, some of the information that has been really helpful for us as a community. And I always say, you know, if you just take 10, 15 minutes and you review this information and then you turn around, pivot, and you communicate that to the people in your household or in your family, it's amazing how much education and information we can provide that help prepare us uh, for wildfires. So first, let's talk about homes, uh, Carl, because I, I know you've got expertise and information about that. But, you know, one of the more frightening things has occurred where we see wildfires that are either started near somebody's home or lightning hits and it starts to send fire not just up the hillside, but down the hillside, depending on the wind, uh, you know, where it's carrying. And so, you know, we're all leaning in and worried about what's going to happen. What can we do around our homes to make fire sense, to try to maybe have boundaries that will help protect our homes from from
1: fires. Yeah. So when we look at our homes, um we, we like to put decorative shrubbery and everything around to, to make our homes look good. Yes. All of that can be ignited in in the event of a wildfire. Um and it can be ignited through direct flame contact, but through embers that get blown in. So you could be a couple streets away, a couple blocks away from what we call the wildland-urban interface, and that's where the communities push into that wildland space. But embers could be carried in through uh, the wind, and they could ignite some of those fuels around your house. So it's important to create what we like to term defensible space okay. around your home. So if there is a wildfire in that wildland-urban interface uh, and resources and fire departments are dispatched into that area, they have a an area – where they can defend that property and they can defend that structure. And so we like to say create 10, 10 feet of space from your home to where you're going to have maybe an outbuilding or some decorative shrubbery so that that space becomes defensible for those firefighters that do show up on it's location. It's almost like
2: a fort. like So that that sense of, all right, if we give it that 10 feet perimeter around our house, that means the firefighters can go into that space and then the house is behind them and the fire is in front. Is that right? So I mean, kind of think it's like a little
1: invisible fort. You know? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, by doing the work early, yeah. it allows the f- firefighters to, to really do their job when they get on scene. Um, and sometimes w- when we allow that shrubbery or that brush to really grow in next to our house, it puts the firefighter in a difficult situation. He has to make the determination, ter- he or she, and says, can I save this structure? Okay. Um, and then then they uh, go from there. You know, They build their game plan from there. And so if we take the steps now to create defensible space, it allows them to come in and they don't have to make that hard decision. They say, OK, we've got this space. We're going to set up our defense right here.
2: Now, I'm one of those that has absolutely not walked that talk, because if I look back at my home, I love to see the low colored shrubs and flowers around the perimeter of my home. Uh, it's just so beautiful. And I have a few trees, one, one in particular kind of close to the house, a, a Japanese maple that, uh, you know, could quite easily, we do trim it to keep it uh, away from the roof, um, but could quite easily be that bridge between an ember coming and Consuming a house, so I'm just admitting. Even though he's giving us the advice, I've got to I've got to make some better changes because I live near the mouth of a canyon that was on fire a few years back. The Spanish Fork Canyon area, and it was a very. We had those across the street from us um, that were on the evacuation notice, and those about a half a mile away who were being evacuated all through the hillsides. So it was not just the homes built in that wildlife community interface on the. Hill. It was all of the homes that were in that area were that were now at risk because of the ferocity of those flames and the embers. Yeah. And
1: yeah. when we talk about the defensible space, it's not to like it's not to leave that ten feet just barren of vegetation. You can strategically put plants yeah. in there okay. that uh but space them out so they're not close together. So if one does ignite, it doesn't ignite the one next there to it. There you go. So it kinda limits um how much fuel is right around your house. So it doesn't have to be barren, but strategically place some plants and maybe move them a little bit away from the house so they're not touching the house. But yeah, you can still have some vegetation and plants within that 10 feet. And what
2: it is is also you're giving us a motivation to get out there and actually trim our bushes and shrubs. Many of us, it's been so hot, about the coolest time to do it is at 4 (laughs) a.m. to be able to get that. So that's with our homes, creating that defensible space. Um, And if we are planting, planting those spaces so that it's easier to douse a shrub or a low lying bush or a tree uh, instead of having it all engulfed. Now let's talk about, um, uh, because there's also so many areas of lands that you're in charge of. Let's talk about our. Wildlife space because we have a lot of uh, individuals that all of us love to go up hiking. We love to go camping. Uh, so, what is your advice now? I had heard one fire captain share that he said we are drier than the Fourth of July right now, and that's usually when we all think that's the driest we're going to be. No, no, we are drier now. So, what should we keep in mind for fire sense to to do our part to protect the the beauty of that area of the land? And uh, prevent more fires.
1: Yeah, a couple of years ago, we launched our Fire Sense campaign, mm-hmm. which was to raise some public awareness around certain behaviors that um, we do that contribute to those human caused wildfire starts when we're out in the wild, enjoying our open spaces. Utah has a lot of open spaces, and they're very enjoyable. And a wildfire can kind of damage the the beauty and the ecos- ecosystem, and the access yeah. to it, and mm-hmm. so we want to limit what we do as humans and how we contribute to those wildfire starts. Um, And so it's just simple steps that uh, we talk about. One of the big ones that we see right now is campfires. People like to go up in the mountains, like you mentioned, hiking or camping. And even if it's a day trip, they like to have a little fire to end their, their trip. And so we ask people to douse your campfire completely. Don't leave it um, smoldering. Make sure you've dumped some water on it. You stir it with a shovel uh, and then if you can touch it, you can leave it. So you want to make sure it's completely out.
2: Oh, wow. That, now that is um, something that's really helpful to keep in mind. So if you're putting your hands over those embers and you're feeling that heat and you're reluctant to put your hand or palm down, you know it's too hot. So stay there. So yeah. if you're packing in fuel... Or packing in what you want—the marshmallows and the chocolate—to go with your campfire, you got to pack in enough water to douse that, fl-
1: that those embers. Okay. Correct. Correct. Or at least pack a bucket that you can okay. go to a nearby stream okay. or lake and and use that water. And that's that's one thing our interagency partners mm-hmm. um, have has told us uh, this past week that they saw over the holiday weekend was an uptick of what we refer to as abandoned campfires, where they've left them smoldering. Um, and if we have a high wind event, that can be catastrophic right so and we've had
2: some high wind events that have come out of like for the blue all of a sudden to willa hit with hail Mm -hmm. the size of golf balls and with that winds of 70 80 miles an hour
1: yeah and and that wind Mm -hmm. really can drive an abandoned campfire into a big wildfire so that's why we say make sure it's out if you can touch it you can leave it okay um that's one thing that uh we can all do Uh, The other one is properly maintaining our vehicles. Um, We're going to drive into those wildland uh, interfaces and not parking on dry vegetation.
2: Okay, let's talk about that. Yes. So, all right, typically you're going to pull over on the side of the canyon area and it's often not a paved if you're going out into the you know, the hills, it's often not a paved parking lot that you're looking at pulling into. What is the danger of driving up a canyon and pulling over and parking on that dirt area with that has a little bit of grass below it?
1: Yeah, that exhaust system mm-hmm. gets extremely hot, especially those catalytic converters. And when we park over that, that radiant heat can dry out even more those grasses and cause it. In- Becoming an ignition source. Um, and so we we want to make sure we don't park over dry grass. Um, if we can just keep it on the shoulder or in a turnout or in a hardened space where it's just dirt and rocks, okay. that's going to be the best place to park. Um, it may add a few extra steps to your hike, but it's going a long ways in preventing a wildfire.
2: All right. and and uh, you know maybe you. I know you're very experienced in this, but about how long would it take for a catalytic converter and an exhaust system to kind of come to a temperate, a, a cooler temperature? Is it hours?
1: Um, it it does take a while. Okay. Um, I don't have a specific. Well, time I, I frame just know like that. a
2: radiator. Like I know a but,
1: radiator takes a long time to cool right, down in a car, but, but yeah. they re, they remain hot for an extended period of time okay. because you know the internal combustion and all that okay. generates a lot of heat. So. Knowing that you're going to be parking somewhere and then you're going to go, you're going to leave and go hiking, um, you don't know what's what's going on back there that vehicle okay. and so that's why we we always recommend don't park on dry grass okay. or dry vegetation try and find that hardened space all
2: right good and if, by the way for those who have joined us this is Carl Hunt uh, you can find a lot of the information he's sharing with us today on a website called Firesense.org. dot org like as in use your common sense firesense.org dot org as we talk about uh, fire safety and all of the lands here in Utah how we can do our part now, um, one of the things I've seen before is that as we are carrying or dragging our trailers or pulling, I'll see sometimes like a chain uh, hitting that road, the the asphalt and sparking up. So talk to us a little bit about what we need to keep in mind if we are towing things uh, behind us to the, you know on the
1: hillsides or wherever we're at. Absolutely. And that that goes in with that vehicle maintenance part. We always okay. say maintain your trailer as well. That's something that gets neglected. Okay. Um, and we've had incidents where someone's been towing a trailer and they've had a wheel bearing fell on them and that creates an issue and a spark and it started a wildfire and you could just see the trail down the down the freeway. So maintaining those vehicles is important as well. Um, but when you're towing, make sure the chains are up off the road. It's a good practice to give them a little twist. Uh, You don't want them too tight because that's going to hinder what you're doing, but you don't want them hanging and banging on the roadside. Um, That spark that it's creating on the road may not actually start the wildfire, but it's going to cause a failure in those chains, and we've seen instances where a link has come off, and flipped into the side of the road, and that started the wildfire. Okay,
2: something else to keep in mind. All right, so that's something we can do using the fire ascents for the vehicles, whether we're towing, trailers, or our cars. What's some other things that we need to keep in mind? We talked about campfires, making sure we're dousing that. What are some of the other steps we need to watch for?
1: Uh, One of the other things we see is target shooting. People love to go out and recreationally target shoot, um, and we say make sure you have a clear background. Don't have a hillside full of grass and vegetation. Don't shoot at rocks. Uh, a lot of times that can create a spark as well. And don't use fully steel jacketed ammunition.
2: I don't uh, know what that means. F- fully steel jacketed. It's it's, it's the ammunition. it's the
1: casing around the the bullet.
2: Okay, and wh- why? Because that's like that it, flint and steel kind of idea. Yeah, when
1: it hits a rock, it's you know if you have a piece of metal and you hit a rock, it's going to create a spark, and so that can have that same effect out outside while you're, you know, practicing target shooting. So, clear your backstop, always have we always like to say carry a bucket of water. Just like with camping, always have something with you that if it does start we you can try and extinguish it immediately.
2: Right. Now, we've had some major fires started from target shooting. A lot of it feels like it occurred on the west side of I-15, either south of of, um, Harriman and Lehigh. And I was trying to remember, we also had some, I think, in the West Lake area. So there has been a number of fires that were started from target shooting.
1: Yeah, and we we do see that in some of more of the deserted areas where people like to go out and just target shoot. It's a a fun pastime. I enjoy doing it, Um, but it can contribute to a wildfire if we're not careful. And so a lot of it is just using... Like you said, common sense. You know, fire sense is common sense. That's kind of our tagline. Uh, and using that to, to make sure we're recreating responsibly, enjoying our time, and we're not letting a wildfire ruin our Outdoor activities. I know that Provo City and
2: there are a few other communities that put some additional restrictions on, I believe, target shooting as well. Um, So, how would we, as a someone who shoots, find out where we legally are able to target you? Because we are—I mean, this area used to be all rural, and so it was just, uh, you know, something that people shared as a family to go out into the fields or out into
1: the canyon and shoot. Uh, It depends on jurisdiction of who manages those lands, Um, and so check with the local jurisdiction. If you're going to go onto federal property, like the BLM or the Forest Service, check with them and see if they have any restrictions uh, regarding target shooting. Um, For the state, uh, you know, they've got uh, the DWR Division of Wildlife. Uh, resources they have a gun range out uh, Lee K Center off of 201 you can go to those facilities as well those are hardened facilities that you know are managed so that you can enjoy target shooting but also not contribute to you know the wildfire danger that's out there um, but yeah I I just recommend checking with those local jurisdictions um, and seeing if they put any restrictions in place.
2: Okay, all of those are great ideas. Things that we can do when we're hiking or camping to be more uh, cognizant and careful. Things we can do with our vehicles, uh, target shooting. Is there another element of fire sense as well that you can share with us, Carl? Uh,
1: Fire sense is is honestly just uh, common sense. um, Doing. Things that we know we're supposed to be doing. Okay. I forgot to bring up fireworks. And I know that we're running out of ju- ju- <laughs> and, and, and July. That, and that's what I was going to go yeah, with okay. it is, you know, we we know that we can light fireworks for two holidays in July, right? Right. Um, and there's legal parameters around what type of firework we can ignite, when we can ignite them. And if we stick to those parameters and where they're telling us we should ignite them, then we're going to not run into to issues. The issues we see is when people go into those wildland urban interfaces or they go next to a grassy field. But if you do it in your neighborhood where you've got the streets and stuff like that, where it's hardened and you keep the fireworks small, you're usually not going to run into an issue. Each municipality kind of has their own uh, restrictions regarding fireworks. I believe it was Draper City and Salt Lake City both said no fireworks. We're not going to have them. Within our, within our limits, but other areas we're allowing them. And so if your area allows you to use fireworks, use them responsibly and use them in a hardened space that's not going to hopefully start a wildfire
2: about seven years ago our hardened space neighborhood which is near the mouth of the canyon but not uh, on the hillside uh, there was a family had gone to wyoming and had gotten some you know and everything was just a blast until one of the rockets uh, spiraled and landed on a backyard It took about 25 neighbors running as fast as they can, uh, and it had consumed the hillside within. uh, You know, I can't even tell you the time. It was like it felt like seven minutes, slow motion in time, as people tried waiting for the volunteer fire department to arrive as quickly as as they could. So you know, if even if you're in a neighborhood that has more hardened space, some of those rockets that are not legal are. Can really hit the air. They get a wind current. Next thing you know, they're not landing where you thought it was going to land. So that was pretty scary for us.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's why it's important to um, follow. Yeah, the the law of what fireworks are allowed in this state, um, and so following that helps us, you know, stop those incidences from happening, or at least minimizes that risk. There
2: you go. We have just about um, five or six minutes together. This is Carl Hunt. He is the public information officer with the Utah Forestry and Fire and State Lands. And we're talking about fire safety. Um, We have had just an incredible winter. That was, for many people, an answer to prayers. Uh, you know, the idea that we absolutely, we've been in a drought for so many years, and we had so much moisture that is in the the um, the forests and the hills around us. It's absolutely beautiful to hike and see wildflowers I haven't seen for a long time in a new area, et cetera. So when you're meeting um, and the Department of Natural Resources are talking about fire risk, can you take a few minutes to help us understand why this period of time is even more... More flammable and what, um, what you're
1: watching for in the state. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, we get, like you mentioned, we got the moisture. It was great. Um, but with that moisture comes vegetation growth. And all that vegetation growth is a fuel source that can be ignited and cause uh, a fire to grow. Um, and we saw a lot of that growth in the lower elevations in the grassy, easily ignitable fuels And so, and we use the word fuel just uh, kind of as a broad term. It can mean heavy timber, it can mean grass, it can mean like shrubbery. But that fuel load uh, can increase the intensity of a wildfire and can make it harder for firefighters when they're on the ground to try and and stop that. Um, There's been instances where um, in other states where they'll put a fire retardant line down, but the fire is so intense it burns underneath it. And so it can make it harder. Uh, the wind can drive them as well. And so as long as it continues to have fuel, it continues to have that high fire danger and can become a problem for the firefighters.
2: I remember, uh, as I reflect back to the big fires um, that were uh, behind Woodland Hills and uh, Elk Ridge and Spanish Fork, up Highway 6, uh, coming into that area, Bird's Eye, all of that area, so much of it was burned Um, That once that fire gained as a ton of ground, so whole acres consumed with lots of small and big fuel, it was just a matter of time and it jumped the entire four lanes of the highway to the other side. And and you know canyons are incredible gifts and beautiful here in Utah, but they also come with winds. And so what we learned too is that when the wind can change, it change it can at any point lift the fire in one location and get if with enough heat, it's almost like it builds a bridge and goes right over to the other side. So there's some really erratic behavior that we'd see, and we'd also see sometimes that the wind carrying that fire down the hillsides and sometimes consuming it up. So once it starts burning, it's nothing like the campfire I grew up with with Girl Scouts. (laughs) Yeah, right. It is uh, uh, it is it it can be very erratic. Yes. Wild and and Mm -hmm. wild wildfire is
1: very unpredictable. There's a lot that goes into it. uh, The terrain, how hot it is, the the humidity that might be around. If we've got low humidity, um, high heat and wind, we get a red flag warning. And that red flag warning can really increase the fire potential and the fire behavior if there's active fire on the ground. Um, And so being cognizant and conscious of the environmental factors that we're experiencing uh, can help us uh, make decisions when we're out recreating. So if we've got a red flag warning, maybe it's not a good idea to light a fire. At this time, you know, maybe we wait a little bit, we wait for the potential to come down, then we do it. Or we're not going to light fireworks on this day because of that high fire potential, that red flag warning. Um, And being just being aware of all of those factors, I think, can help us make those right decisions um, and helps us prevent prevent the wildfires that we see.
2: I'll never forget what it was like when the hot shots um, were brought in to help the fire and they were out there for days on end hours around the clock. And they would come to just around the corner to a local gas station we're at, which is at the mouth of the canyon, to hydrate. They were covered in ash and soot and depleted. And uh, we would thank them for risking their lives up in those hills. And um, I think, sorry for being a little emotional, um, these are real people that are out on those hillsides trying to save us. And so these little steps that you're saying that are common sense, like don't light that in a red flag, it makes a difference on whether we need to send teams and drop them right in the middle of those incredible fires, uh, or whether or not um, they can stay in more safer areas. So apologize for the emotion, Carl.
1: (laughs) No, that's totally fine. There's, there's a, there really is a human element to it. And I, I don't, think that a lot of people see that when they hear the reporting on the news. They're just seeing, oh, here's it's burning. Here's the acreage. Oh, and there are some evacuations, but it's not affecting me, so I don't see it. But there really is a human element on the ground. A lot of the agencies that respond to the initial fire are your local firefighters. So if there's a fire in Spanish Fork, those firefighters are going to be the first ones to get there. Then as the state, we're going to send some resources, and the Forest Service is going to try and send some resources to help out. But it really affects that local community initially. Um, when there's a wildfire on the ground because they're the ones that are responding to it. They're the ones being pulled away from a family event um, to, to come and try and put out that wildfire.
2: Yeah, it is absolutely does have that human element, and we keep that in mind. Um, and I, I do know that I also learned that you know there is a account, is it Utah Fire Info? It would have it, the latest on what's happening in wildfires in the state of Utah. I don't know if I got it right. Is it Utah yeah. Fire
1: Info, something like that? Yes, it is. Okay. It's utahfireinfo.gov, fire, okay. and that's where we post any um, current fire status and give updates Um, So if there's a fire in your area and you're looking for information um, of what's going on, you can check utahfireinfo.gov. You can also follow at Utah Wildfire on Twitter and Utah Wild – Utah Fire Info on Facebook, and we also post updates um, on there as well. And the social media will get more updates than the website. The website will have fact sheets and stuff like that and community meetings. But updates that we get from the firefighters on the ground, we always try to push out on – those social media platforms to try and get people the most relevant information in a timely manner.
2: And you do a great job. Um, So when you do look up the Utah Fire Info on the social media accounts, what I find is in in those posts, they'll also tell us what is the specific name of that fire. And then you could also use the hashtags that you share that tell us, you know, the name of that fire and find more of that relevant information. So that has been very helpful. That's utahfireinfo.gov. Carl Hunt. Carl Hunt. Thank you so much for your service uh, to our state to try to keep these beautiful uh, wildlands from burning, right? (laughs) We can do that. Absolutely. And for more information, you can check out firesense.org. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum.
1: Thanks for having me. Utah Weekly Forum is produced by KSFI FM 100.3 in Salt Lake City, a Bonneville International Station. Subscribe to the Utah Weekly Forum podcast online and email us at rebecca at fm100.com.
0: Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten.